Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, so you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Dr. Betty Martin. Betty, a chiropractor, is also a body electric school-trained sacred intimate, a certified sexological body worker, and a self-propelled erotic adventurer and intimacy coach. She's taught peer counseling, gender liberation, embodiment and empowerment, fantasy play, goddess awakening, and erotic massage. She's played with contact improv dance, authentic movement, nonviolent communication, and Shaivic Tantra. She's a student of the work of Byron Katie and a board member and trainer for a touch and communication workshop called Cuddle Party. And she's now best known as the creator of The Wheel of Consent and the new book about it called The Art of Receiving and Giving. Welcome to the show, Betty. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. I've been um, trying to get you on my show for a while. <laughs> I think I reached out to you a couple years ago when you were writing the book or just starting to write the book. And you were like, yeah. too busy, too busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, know if you, I, I don't know if you have any memory, but I met you first about, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe at the, in Sedona at the intensive that we did at Baba Des's place. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Been a few years. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, it was great. so great to Thanks have for, you here. Thanks for updating me. Uh, yes, I was persistent. <laughs> So, um, yeah, why don't you start, Betty, by just telling us about your, a little bit about your journey. Like, how does a nice little girl like you grow up to be a sacred, intimate, a sexological body worker, and an expert on consent? <laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> well, I, I, as you noted, I was a chiropractor. I'm retired from that. And in my mid-40s, which is 25 years ago, I took a workshop for women and sexuality. This is after divorce. And I, you know, I was reasonably functional, but I knew that there's more. There's got to be more here. To the workshop with the Body Electric School um, mm-hmm. for women on sexuality and, um, and spent a weekend in community with women learning about ourselves and learning uh, we we learn to give and receive a Taoist erotic massage, which is an erotic massage with breath work and just sort of blows your <laughs> blow blew my white picket fence sexuality all the hell, um, and uh, and showed me that my eros belonged to me, and it was such a shock that I thought, well, what the heck did I think before this? And I realized that as a girl growing up in the 1950s, I kind of was taught that it belonged to everybody else, that how you're supposed to be sexy, who you're supposed to be sexy with, what you're supposed to look like, what you're supposed to want, what you're supposed to not want, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, you know, and, and 
my eros was just kind of always in response to somebody else. And um, and one thing that shifted that weekend was, oh, this belongs to me, belongs in my body, and I get to choose if, when, who, how, and however I want to bring it out to play. Mm-hmm. And that was a big shift in my life. Um, and And I got together with a few colleagues friends from that workshop, and we met together for several years, just continuing to explore what is eros, which is a different question than what is sex. Um, But what is eros, what what is my body capable of, what's it like to live in this body, what is it like to be aroused when I'm paying attention to my own arousal instead of somebody else, Um, and... uh, just a lot of exploring. And after five or ten years of that, I became interested in offering, and also a bunch of more workshops, I became interested in offering these experiences to other people. And I already had, I already had a lot of experience, many, many years of, of peer counseling. So I knew how to be with people in emotional states. I knew how to be with people in various stages of dress and undress. I knew how to be with people in various stages of arousal without it meaning, you know, without it being about getting the deed done. And, right. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I closed my chiropractic office, moved into the city in Seattle, opened a new studio, and began offering my work as a sacred intimate. And didn't really know what that meant because... It's a very broadly defined word. It's not, it's not you know, uh, legal or certified or anything. So it, you can, the word gets used to mean a lot of things. But basically I was using it to mean taking people into and through erotic experiences for their own learning and their own healing. And it was wonderful work. I just loved it. And I did that for 10 or 15 years. Um, I'm no longer taking private clients. These days I'm working with other practitioners, training and mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and during those years of working with people, uh, the, the wheel of consent sort of was born, was developed. And um, that's a whole other question, but... But that's how that's how I got started. It was born out of my own personal erotic journey. Um, it, I didn't start out in any way thinking I would teach other people. Uh, I was just I was I was on this journey for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. And after after learning so much, then I thought, oh, you know what? I want to offer this to other people. Yeah. Great. So that's I love I, that. That's what I have done. Yeah. Nice. I love that you're, yeah. you know, downloading this to other practitioners now. And I mean, that's what you were doing when I met you, is you were already teaching yeah. students about yeah. um, the various kinds of consent and just made so much sense. Yeah. I'm really yeah. glad that the world is getting this now. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we have something in common there because I started in this, I read on your website how, you know, the frequently asked question is what kind of training do you have? And you said, there is no mm-hmm. training. 
there's not really traditional training <laughs> no. for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we go to all the workshops, yeah. right? We do all the things and we yeah. gather together yeah. all this amazing learning. Like you said, you knew how to hold space for strong emotional states. You knew how to be with people mm-hmm. that were undressed. You knew how to be with mm-hmm. people in various erotic states without it meaning like, oh, are we going to have sex now? Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I started doing something called... I, I just called it love surrogacy. I just made that up because I didn't yeah. want to have sex with people, but I wanted to hold yeah. a space for unconditional love and even have touch involved. And as a therapist, you can't sit in the workshop straddle with somebody and touch their face and stare into their eyes. Like that's, right. that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you so, doing therapy? No, no. I was just changing careers from you know a meaningless yeah. desk job to I want to help people yeah. feel the beauty and love that they are you know just through going oh, going yeah. through high workshops yeah. and getting learning how to be yeah. with people in the ways that you're talking about I wanted to spread it out yeah. to like one-on-one clients who would never go to a high workshop in a million years you know <laughs> yes exactly and it's I, I just I just loved the work. It felt like more me than I have ever been. Mm-hmm. My, my, the work felt like more me than, than I've ever been. And I mean, I loved my years as a chiropractor, too, and then I was done with it, and then this other came along, and, and I loved that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So you, you were saying um, Eros, I love how you said Eros was always in response to someone else, and I think that's really how most like the default culture usually their erotic energy comes it's instigated by someone else outside of them mm-hmm. so how yeah. how do you go about shifting that in the world and in, in the work that you do so that people realize it's we don't have to respond mm. to other people yeah that's a great question well mostly by noticing your own sensation in your own body and including the sensations of pleasure and enjoyment um, and being supported in experiencing states of pleasure and arousal that aren't about anybody else. And, you know, I mean, I imagine when most people hear this, they think, well, yeah, I know how to masturbate, but I'm not really so much talking about that. Um, An example would be an erotic massage where you're on the table, I'm uh, massaging you in ways that turn you on, and you get a chance to notice it's not about me. We're not going to hook up. We're not going to have sex. It's just my hands assisting you to have an experience that's about you. Mm -hmm. And that is a very different thing than most people know how to do. I mean, it's, I, I'm even unsure of describing it here because it's such a different experience than most people are accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not to say that you want to have all your erotic experiences where you're focusing on you. Hell no. If you're with a lover, you want to focus on both of you, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this learning what it's like, to have your own erotic experiences that are just about you, there's no, there's no substitute for it. 
um, and you learn things about yourself that you would never learn in in partnership or in you know rolling around making out and making love. It, it's it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the example yeah. you gave is like someone's receiving a massage and they're paying attention to their own arousal from the massage, even though the practitioner may not be trying to arouse them and certainly doesn't have any intentions to escalate it to a sexual level. But what about the situation where there is no other person, there's no massage therapist? And mm-hmm. how, how do we, like, one thing I've noticed as a postmenopausal woman is if I don't have a lover, my sexuality just tends to go night-night. And so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. How do you how yeah. do you feel sexual when you don't feel sexual? You know what I mean. <laughs> well, first of all, there's no need to feel sexual if you don't want to. You know, the 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 idea that well, I'm supposed to keep being sexual my whole life. That's mm-hmm. not true. There's mm-hmm. no supposed to be around it. You can if you want. You don't have to. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's timing is different. But to to experience your own eros and your own sexuality when you're alone, um, movement is good, music is good, breathing is good, self-touch is good, uh, bath water is good, food is good, different ways to enjoy your skin and your sensuality, um, I mean, you may or may not include your genitals at all. Most people, when they masturbate, are kind of, you know, they're getting the job done and they're doing whatever is going to get them off the fastest and, you know, that's fine. Probably everybody's done that. But to touch yourself uh, non-genitally and explore what your skin feels like and explore what feels good to your hands what feels good to your feet, what feels good to your face. Um, Putting on sexy music and dancing and breathing can be very arousing if you let it be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you might feel kind of silly, Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. That's just fine, you know. Um, But... But the things that help to wake up the body are movement, touch, and breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and paying well, lo- attention to the sensation. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that you, you know, give me and all of us permission to not be sexual because we, as we're growing older, we hear this, you know, lo- use it or lose it. Like, I'm just going to shrivel up into a prune yeah. if I don't stay sexually active. And um, it's just great yeah. to get permission that we... We're still whole human beings, even if we're asexual. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And everybody's different. Everybody's desire for sexuality is different and what kind of sexuality they want and don't want and when they want it and who they want it with and how they want it and when it comes and when it goes. And, you know, everybody's different there. And how you are is just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the concept of consent. I read something recently where this um, woman from India who had lived in the United States for a long time, or maybe she was first generation born here, I don't know, but she went back to India and did a 
research project on consent, and she found that the men there couldn't even grasp what the concept meant. <laughs> so a lot of us yeah. seem that it's a lot of us think that it's an obvious thing, but it's so not obvious. Um, and I still struggle with it, even with you know, even being a sex educator myself, and you know, having run in these circles for 30 years, I still mm-hmm. notice the times that I go with something I don't really want to do. So anyway, I'd love to hear like how you yeah. define it and just give us like a general yeah. overview of what is consent. Sure. Consent, if you look up in the dictionary, it means that you are willing and say yes to what somebody else wants. So you you. You, you give consent for X, Y, Z to happen to you, or you consent to do X, Y, Z. And so it's really about what somebody else wants. And that's an important skill to have. And that's only half the picture. The other half the picture is what is it that you want. Um, so what, what, so, and then there's, so there's personal consent of people communicating about what sounds fun to you, what sounds fun to me, well, this sounds great, but don't do this, and oh, yeah, okay, well, that works, and how about this? That's a personal conversation that I think is about consent. I, I think I vote to expand the definition of consent to be more like agreement. Or maybe mm-hmm. we just need to stop saying consent and say agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm interested in the conversation of what do you want? What what sounds fun to you? What sounds fun to you? This this doesn't work. This works. This sounds great. Okay, let's play. Mm-hmm. That's what I think that the con- consent conversation is about. And then there's legal impl- uh, implications of consent and definitions of consent, which means basically you don't do something to someone unless they say you can. And even if they say you can, they can change their mind. In any, any consent agreement, you can change your mind, which people seem to forget. Well, you know, they said yes, and so I was doing the thing, and then they said no, but it's too late because you already said yes. You know, well, that obviously doesn't apply. Um, and there's a lot of conversation now about enthusiastic consent, authentic consent, re- revocable consent. So there's really a rich public conversation now about mm-hmm. consent. Mm-hmm. Um, in the personal realm, I think really the richer conversation is about agreement. What sounds fun to you, what sounds fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of is it okay with you if I do this thing? Right. Well, it may be okay with me, but that's, that, that's okay is not what we're going for. That is <laughs> right. what we're going for. So, is it okay if I do this thing to you? That's That will fall under the definition of consent, but it's not really what I want to know. I want to know, does this sound fun to you? It's a different question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so many so cultures. The, the, sorry, go ahead. Please continue. The the wheel of consent um, was born out of a game that I played in one of those many workshops I went to, developed by Harry Faddis. It's called the three minute game, and it's two people 
taking turns asking each other these two questions. What do you want me to do to you for three minutes? And what do you want to do to me for three minutes? Well, hell yeah, I can think of some fun things for both of those. Um, and you probably can too. So, but what you'll notice is if you, if there's two of you and you're taking turns asking those two questions, you're going to have four rounds of the game. And you'll notice that in two of those rounds, you're the doer, and in two of those rounds, you're the done-to. And in two of those rounds, it's for you, and two of those rounds, it's for the other person. And they mm-hmm. they overlap. They combine in those four ways. So either I'm doing what I want or I'm doing what you want. And the difference is very significant. Or you're doing what you want or you're doing what I want. And so there's those four combinations, and they fit into a little cross diagram matrix, um, and that's the wheel of consent. The wheel of consent is the, the, the contribution of the wheel of consent is not that consent is a good idea because you already knew that. It's that who is doing is a different question than who it's for. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the wheel of consent is about. It's about, and it's a practice. You take apart receiving and giving. So it's either receive a gift or give a gift, and there's different ways to do that, different different kinds of gifts. I can give you the gift of doing the thing that you want me to do, or I can give you the gift of my body for you to do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Both of those are gifts, different kinds of gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So well, that's I love, what the wheel of consent is. You can find yeah. it on my website and on YouTube. And, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, well, I love how you've pulled those apart because I had a pet peeve for so long about how, you know, men that I've dated would say, you know, I'm a giver, you know, like, quote, yes. giver. Like, it's it's a code word for, you know, I want to eat you out, <laughs> right? Whether yeah. you like it or right. not, I want to eat you out because that's yeah. my fetish. And so I'm a giver. Yeah. It's like, no, you're a taker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got that yeah. all on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, too, we're, it's often more comfortable in the giving role because it's less vulnerable. Because when we're receiving a gift, someone is giving up what they might have preferred to go with what we want that's what a gift is, then it's it's vulnerable. It's inherently vulnerable. So, you know, if I ask you to scratch my back or whatever, then I have asked for what I want. Now what I want is out in, out in the daylight. Everyone can see it. And you could laugh at it. You could, you know, get mad at me for it, all kinds of things. Because... Um, yeah, it's just it's vulnerable to to let your desires be known, mm-hmm. um, and it's vulnerable when we receive a gift. It breaks our hearts open, and so yeah. of course it does. And um, so, in for that reason, I think a lot of people prefer to give. But if you're so-called giving just because you want to avoid receiving, that's not really giving. 
It's mm-hmm. just avoiding receiving. And so you're putting the receiver in the vulnerable place instead of yourself. Mm. Well, that's pretty selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole different kind of selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, most people are more comfortable in the giving half. Um, right, because also receive- it's what we're taught. We're taught to, we're supposed to give. Give, give, right. give. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and so receiving is not just vulnerable because your desires become known, but also because while you're receiving pleasure, if it's really the pleasure you want, you're out of control. You know, there's a loss of control there. And, yeah, and I find myself really, when I'm in that place, I feel like I'm being bothering, I'm bothering people. I'm too, like, I want, like, I want specific things and it's too much and I'm going to mm-hmm. bother people if I mm-hmm. say too specifically what yeah. I want. Is a lot of that programming. Is that, right. you see that more in like women, people raised as women have that more? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I have, I, I've worked with many women, many men, number of non-binary and trans folk and, um, I used to think that well, it's women that always feel like they have to give, 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 and and they are, and we assume that the men are being selfish. But I have found that that's not really true. Mo, I mean, a few people are selfish, of course, both men and women. And what I found mostly with men is that they are trying really hard to give that in a clue how, because they haven't asked what their partner wants Mm -hmm. and their partner especially if it's a woman can't say anyway and so everybody's groping around in the dark trying to Mm -hmm. keep the other person happy and not knowing Mm -hmm. how and because of that everybody thinks the other person's being selfish (laughs) which they may or may not be Um, so yeah I think women we're taught to give our our bodies and men are taught to give their action. I'm supposed to mm-hmm. do the thing that I learned in the video to make her mm-hmm. come, you know, in right. 15 seconds and, you know, um, and everybody's struggling to try to give something and they don't know what or how. Right. It's just a well, mess, that, basically. Yeah, it's a mess, yeah. So it's that reminds me of my... Have any fun. I know. <laughs> Um, that reminds me of my three tips, my three steps for if a man wants to be in the top 1% of great lovers. The first step is really reassure your partner that you want to know what she wants if you're being with a woman. Really reassure her yeah. that you really, really want to know because she's afraid to tell you for all the time she's gotten knocked down yeah. in the past for saying it. <laughs> and she may not even That's know. Right. So like be on the same team with her and help figure it out, you know. But, like, keep reassuring yeah, her over and over absolutely. that you really want to know. Okay, number two, yeah. listen to what she says. And number three, do it. <laughs> That's great. You know, you, it's so simple, isn't it? But, yeah. That's great. Yeah, because I, I don't know how many people have told them real specifically and then they do something else. Because you know? there's yeah, something in our brain absolutely. about like, if I don't create it myself, if it doesn't come from my own idea, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, the wheel of consent is a, 
practice in taking those apart. It, basically, it's a practice of taking turns. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't mean that you want to live your entire life, certainly not your entire sex life taking turns, but when you set aside certain times to take turns, some things happen. One thing that happens is that you find out what receiving actually is because you're not trying to give something back at the same time. Um, and so, if, you know, if your experiences of receiving, with air quotes here, is that you're also trying to give back so that you don't feel so guilty, then you're not actually receiving. You're, you're just kind of flubbing around in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. When it's really your turn and you believe it's your turn and you understand how to have a turn, then you receive and it just fills you up, fills your heart up, fills your body up, and it's just a very different experience than than um, trying to give something back at the same time. Mm-hmm. And likewise with giving, you learn what giving is because you're not trying to get something back at the same time. Right. So you're learning, oh, this is what it's like to set aside what I want and go with what you want for the time being, for, you know, this next 10 minutes or whatever, so that um, you, you learn what they are, and you have experiences that are possible no other way. You can have experiences when someone is massaging you, for example, that you don't have any other way. And and the same thing in reverse. You know, um, and, you know, again, it's not meant to replace your life or, you know, you don't want to spend your whole life just taking turns. But as a practice, it's very, very rich. Right. Yeah. Cool. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with the author and the creator of The Wheel of Consent, Dr. Betty Martin, talking about issues of consent, making agreements, communication, all kinds of juicy stuff. If you'd like to ask Betty any questions, please feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. So, again, the number is 657-383-1132. So um, I saw on your website where you talked about as children, like the issues of consent as children and what we learn. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that affects us as adults? And do you think that we could be giving children more consent than we generally do in this culture? Sure. Well, I, what happened was that I was asking my clients, how do you want me to touch you right now for a few minutes? And, in, in, and you ask a thousand people this question, most of them will say something like, oh, whatever you want to do is okay with me, mm-hmm. which may be true, but it's not the question that I asked. <laughs> Or they'll say, well, you could such and such, I guess, which is also maybe true, but it's not the question I asked. The question I asked is, what do you want? How do you want me to touch you? 
And so many people, when I asked, I would ask them what they want, and they would answer with what they don't mind terribly much. Mm-hmm. That's a very different question. Right. And and so I, I came to see that, with that and a number of other things, that people tend to go along with what they think they're supposed to be okay with or supposed to like. And if they don't really like it, they try to like it. They try to change themselves. And, you know, I've done this. I imagine everybody's done this. Um, you're being touched in some way that doesn't really inspire you, but you go along with it because you think you're supposed to like it because the person on the video liked it, so what's wrong with you? Why don't you like it? You know? <laughs> and, and, and I got to thinking, and I realized, well, every one of us has been touched against our will in ways that we did not want, we did not like, and we could not stop. And it happened before we could talk. So even in the very best of circumstances, as a baby, you get handled in ways you don't like. There's no avoiding it. And for some people, if they're lucky, they later have experiences in which they do have a choice, but many people never really learn that they have a choice. Touch is just this thing that happens. It's done by somebody who apparently wants to do it, and what we want doesn't matter, and we have to adapt ourselves to it somehow. And so we learn that the thing that's happening is more important than how we feel about it. So we try to change how we feel about it so that the thing can keep happening. And... And it's it seems to be universal, and I think I mean it's certainly universal that we get handled as children in ways that we don't like, even in the very best of circumstances. And of course, that's very few people. Most people have been um, mishandled sometimes in truly terrible ways, and sometimes just in run-of-the-mill terrible ways. Um, but we grow up with the skill to go along with what we don't want. And we know how to do that. And we will tend to do that. And we think that's the way touch is. That's the mm-hmm. nature of touch. Stuff happens. You just got to deal with it. And so we go through our our growing up and our sex lives thinking that, well, this thing is happening, so I guess it's supposed to happen and I guess I'm supposed to like it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a, it's a terrible loss because you know how many how many how many hours have you spent trying to like something that you don't really like mm-hmm. I, I i i can't even imagine the number of hours that that i and many others have spent mm-hmm. doing that yeah 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 i, I wonder if we and, have you, know, you might no go ahead go ahead you might think that, well, this is just people who had some kind of abuse, but no, it's everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I was. That's kind of what the, where I was going with it. Like, I I wonder if we if we had more touch. Like, I know in some cultures, like the whole family sleeps together. You know, maybe because of their yeah. financial needs, but still, there's just a lot more touch and yeah. abundance of love. And so I know a lot of times. As I was younger, I would 
accept things I didn't want because I thought I had to in order to get the attention and love that I crave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of an exchange of energy there. Like, yeah, I'll give you this if I can get this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember as a as a teenager feeling like I had to do sex however with sex was defined at that time, had to do sex in order to get the touch I wanted because mm-hmm. that's the only touch that was available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think, think that's true of many people. Oh, well, yeah, I think a lot of people do that because as, as we become adults, um, like, well, you're, you know, you're involved in the cuddle party and that was so revolutionary because it's a non-sexual thing and there was such a need mm-hmm. for that. Because so many people think, mm-hmm. well, if, we're, if we touch each other at all, it must mean that we're going to have sex. And sometimes people have sex just right. to get touched. So maybe you can talk about yeah. how the cuddle party filled that gap. Yeah. Well, first of all, touch and sex are different needs. We, we're born with a need for touch. We never outgrow it. It's, it's innate in us. And there are measurable changes in our immune system and everything else when we don't get touched. So it is a it's a it's a human need. Sex is not a human need. The 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 human need that's about sex is for sexual expression, which means being who you are as a sexual being as opposed to who somebody else tells you you're supposed to be. It doesn't mean there's no actual physiological need for activity X, Y, or Z. You can live your whole life and be not harmed at all if you never have sex. Um, but that's not true for touch. Mm-hmm. So touch and sex are different needs. And for most Americans, um, I don't know about other cultures, but for most Americans, we have them so conflated that, as you said, if, if any touch is happening, you assume it has something to do with sex or at least sexuality, which is why many straight men are afraid to hug each other mm-hmm. because they think it has to do with sex somehow. It doesn't have to do with sex, but in our society it kind of does. So if you want to learn that they're really different, um, you need to have experiences of touch that are, in fact, not about sex. Um, if you have kids, you probably have that. Um, but, uh, or, you know, maybe you can hug your grandmother or something. But, but Cuddle Party is a workshop that was developed uh, about 20 years ago or something um, where it's, there's a, an introductory sort of a workshop part of the evening where you learn some basic consent skills and then you have a freestyle cuddling where people give each other foot rubs and back rubs and it's all clothed, it's not sexual at all. Um, and it, it gives people an opportunity to experiment with learning consent skills and with learning and with enjoying platonic touch with each other. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I I ran cuddle parties for years. I'm now on the board of directors for a cuddle party organization. Cuddleparty.com, you can find it. Um, but, yeah, I'm just a big fan of them because 
number one, they're so fun. <laughs> and, and number two, they're really skill builders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely was feeling that for a while during the pandemic because I had a relationship end right when it started. And I was living with somebody who worked in the hospital. So he was like, we should probably just keep our distance for a while. <laughs> like, oh, my God, there's yeah. nobody I can even touch. So, yeah, that was that was hard. And I started noticing myself picking up unhealthy behaviors to try to replace the, mm-hmm. the dopamine or whatever. <laughs> Whatever touch gives me. Yeah. 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 But fortunately, I have a wonderful bubble here in Hawaii, so I'm feeling very abundant these days. But um, what I did want to talk about is um, an experience that I had. And as I said, you know, I've done all these years of um, workshops and education and training, and I still find myself getting in situations where I, I don't speak up when I'm getting unwanted touch. Yeah. So it happened to me just a few months ago when a friend of mine told me about this quote shaman. Okay, like right, right away the red flags go up. Uh-oh. But she, but she really thought that he was the real deal, and so I, you know, gave it some credence because my friend had been doing sessions with him. So I went over there, and he did look like he was an indigenous person from South America, which he claimed to be. He did look like that. He couldn't speak English very well. So she was trying to kind of translate for him, not that she could speak his language, but just that she could kind of understand his broken English better than me. And I was trying to explain, like, I don't want a sexual session. I'm really more interested in gaining some self-esteem and, like, just feeling better about myself in general. Like, I don't want a sexual Mm -hmm. session right now. And um, I thought I was very clear about that. But um, before I know it, you know, I'm naked. He's almost naked. Things are happening. And I'm just like, how did I get here? I thought I made it very clear. But there was yeah. this way that I, there was this way that I thought, oh, I, I don't want to be a prude. Like, for a long time, I was like, well, maybe this is just part of how he does his thing. Like, he wants to be skin to skin. I kept making excuses, you know, and, and in my mind. Oh, and, yeah. And then I was like, well, well, I don't want to be a prude by, you know, acting like, this, that, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm too uptight for this, you know. I finally yeah. put an end to it, but I just, I couldn't believe I let, my, let myself get into that situation. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I, I so hear you. And that's so, so easy to do because you already know how to go along with stuff that you don't like, as mm-hmm. we all do. So it's just, um, it's so easy to do, especially if you have a practitioner who, by he has more power than you in the situation because, because you, to some degree, hand it over. And we stop thinking because, oh, well, Maybe this must just be the way it is, or, or as you say, I don't want to be a prude. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry that happened, and God, it happens all the time. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one step at a time, oh, well, you know, it's okay if I get undressed, or, oh, it's not, we can dress. Oh, uh, now, well, it's okay if I only go this far. Oh, well, oh, it's okay if I only go this far. Yeah, so, so common. Yeah. Right. 
and again, I think it's because we have all we've all been trained to go along with stuff that we don't want, and it's mm-hmm. really hard to break that um, to break that habit. And it, you know, in some cases, it actually is dangerous to speak up. Because you could get clobbered if you say, mm-hmm. you know, something's happening, you say, no, cut it out, stop. You could get clobbered. Or your, your, you know, your mate could leave and leave you there with the kids and no income. And like, so in some situations, it's, it actually is quite dangerous. In most situations, it's not. But um, it can feel dangerous because we don't want to lose the connection. Mm-hmm. And we think that if we say no or stop, then the person will leave, and sometimes mm-hmm. they might. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it can take tremendous courage to sit up and say no, stop. This right. isn't okay with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think we all kind of want. And to sometimes, to sometimes the. Sometimes the other person or the practitioner is really seriously at fault because they maybe take advantage of you. But sometimes they just are doing what they think is okay and that they didn't, you know, you didn't say no and so they didn't stop. And, you know, so it may be that they're taking advantage of you or it may not be. It may be that they are just clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know and for sure, course, but I think you know. in in this case there was this ritualized energy which kind of made a trancey sort of feeling with the the mm-hmm. incense burning and the lights and the music and everything was just a little right. dreamy and I wanted to right. believe that there was going to be some magic that happened, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it right there. I wanted to believe that some magic was going to happen. Yeah. Yep. But I, I think, like, when all was said and done, I, I really think he was a predator who just preyed on women of a certain age who wanted to feel like they were still beautiful. And I was not needing that yeah. at all. But, but I think he got away with it yeah. with some women because they maybe hadn't had a lot of attention for a few years. And yeah. they liked yeah. that somebody oh, yeah. was interested in them yeah 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 Yeah. oh yeah i mean one could make quite a good living that way Mm -hmm. i imagine yeah yeah Yeah. he knew exactly what age group to prey on i think and he knew that because he met my friend in a parking lot because she kind of looks like sort of a new agey maui woman so he knew to come up to her Mm -hmm. and say like who are you are you a shaman you look you i feel you she wanted to believe that she had these powers, you know, <laughs> and maybe oh, she yeah. does, but you know, she just was <laughs> yeah. feeling validated by that. Yeah. 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 Not a good thing, but yeah. you know, then afterwards I started seeing friends of mine posting in this Facebook group about similar things happening where they went on a date with somebody from a dating app and, you know, they can't believe they went as far as they did with them. And these are women in, like, sophisticated groups mm-hmm. of, you know, women who have, yeah. like, embodied the ethical slut and, like, really know what they're doing. And so I didn't feel so right. alone because it's like, yeah, it just can happen to all of us. Yes, huh. absolutely. Absolutely can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely can. 
and what will make it, what will kind of push you over the edge will be different than what will push me over the edge. But, yeah, there's stuff that will push me over the edge. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, um, when you help professionals, um, tell me about how you teach that, uh, professionals who do any kind of hands-on work. You're, you're offering more of a, a different take on your teachings when you work with professionals. Yeah. Um, what I do with professionals, in fact, I just finished teaching a five-day class here in Seattle, um, so I'm just sort of fresh coming off of it. What I teach professionals is we first spend a few days taking them into an experience of each of the four quadrants of the wheel of consent so that they have it in their bodies, mm. so that they can tell the difference between doing what somebody else wants and doing what they want. Mm-hmm. Because that's the crux of the situation that you were describing. It, it, when you are a practitioner in session with somebody, you are in service to that person, period. That's what they're there for. That's what they're paying you for. So it doesn't mean you have to do things that you don't want to do. Of course not. Um, but it means that you take your preferences and you set them aside and you 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 take care of your limits and your boundaries, of course, um, but you're in service to the client. And it's important to be able to feel what that feels like in comparison to doing what you want with somebody. And so we, we practice all four of those quadrants. I do what you want. I do what I want. You do what you want. You do what I want. We practice all four of those. So they get in their body. And then they have something to compare it to because they've experienced it in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we talk about how it applies to, um, how it applies to your session work. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably the biggest factor in that is the one that I just said about your, your client will tend to go along with whatever you say. And that's not good for them. What they actually need is to learn how to ask for what they want. And that's a very different process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we then we talk about how to do that. Um, so that's in the trainings. And I also offer supervision and mentoring for other, other practitioners. And I just love it. It's just, <laughs> it's the most fun work I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you bring together all of these um, diverse experiences from your past? Um, you know, you talked about doing gender liberation, embodiment and empowerment, fantasy play, goddess awakening, <laughs> contact improv, Byron Katie work, all these things. Like, how do you distill all that into what you're teaching now? Like, how has it all come together for you in, in your life? It sounds like you're... I don't see how it could not come together. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when you're standing there uh, facilitating a group or working with a client or supervising somebody online, as all of your skills, you're going to reach into your bag and pull out whatever skill is needed at the time. I think we all do that. I imagine you do that. Um, 
and we each have a different combination or sets of skills and experiences. Um, you know, my experience of 30 or 40 years of peer counseling um, taught me how to pay attention to someone and how to be emotionally supportive and how to not get wrapped up in trying to give advice and, you know, and and so I carry those skills into the sessions, the, you know, the current sessions. I don't know how you could not carry your skills forward into what you do. Mm-hmm. But that's a great question. I've never considered that question. Um, <laughs> well, I love Byron yeah. Katie's It's work. not I so just... much a matter of tech. Not so much a matter of technique. It's more. Well, this this is answer. It's not so much a matter of I bring in this technique or that technique. It's more a matter of this is what I've learned about myself that is now a resource to other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it is really more than it's not really about bringing this technique or that technique. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I love Byron Katie's work. I just had a profound experience with that recently. Um and so I do recommend that to my clients when they're stuck around something and they're playing a mm-hmm. tape over and over in their head. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a great one. Yeah. If if people haven't heard about it, you can find it online, thework.com. Yeah. The work. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Betty, it's just been a joy having you here. I'm so glad we finally got to talk. And um, I really yeah, appreciate finally. what you're yeah, I really appreciate what you've been putting out there to the world, and I'm so happy for you that the Wheel of Consent has become such a a widely used thing. Just here on Maui, um, we started having these gatherings with sex-positive people, and uh, a woman led us through the four quadrat- quadrants, and she had trained with you. Um, oh, she kept calling them quadrats. <laughs> quadrant, quadrant. <laughs> but she was great. No, she did a great job. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to let you know that your work was over here on Maui recently. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let, uh, you know, take a few minutes here to share anything else that we've missed that you want our listeners to know about you, where to reach you, anything you're offering, what's, what's your next, what's the next thing for Betty Martin? The next thing for, for Betty Martin is figuring out what we're going to do for 2022 for teaching because it kind of depends on COVID. We haven't written our schedule yet and I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. We'll maybe do mm-hmm. some more online and, and maybe start to travel. Um, mm-hmm. But you can find me at bettymartin.org and wheelofconsentbook.com, wheelofconsentbook.com. And on the Wheel of Consent Book website, you can get a free downloadable chapter Um and which will give you kind of a good introduction to what the book is about and what the Wheel of Consent is about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and of course, you can buy the book there, but go, you go get the free chapter. And on YouTube, 
just Google Wheel of Consent or put it in the search bar, Wheel of Consent or Betty Martin, and you'll come up with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and there's also a page on my website with about eight hours of free video about all this. It um, mm. takes you through from beginning to end. And mm-hmm. that's all free. That's on, that's on the website. Um, so there's lots of free stuff out there. And the reason is because I want people to be able to have it. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to come study with me, then I'll charge you some. <laughs> but you can get a lot of it free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. The, I'm also on Instagram, but um, under Wheel of Consent. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much again, Betty, for being on the show. It was a delight. And I wish you great success with the whatever comes next. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see, talk, talk to you again. Yeah. Okay. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, I'm going to have back Carolyn Arnold. She was on the show um, a few years ago with her partner talking about how they do their polyamorous relationship. But now she's back as a solo guest to discuss her book that's going to be released any day now um, called 50 First Over 50. So when she turned 50 years old, she decided to go on 50 first dates. And she met her partner on the 49th date. So she ended up writing a chapter on every single date. And it really is like a journey of a mature woman's personal growth and empowerment and choosing um, the right partner for her, but having a lot of fun along the way um, and just the choices that she made and what she learned about herself. And it it really is quite a lesson for for anybody really that wants to date consciously and and have fun while doing it. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio to hear about Carolyn and her book. And we appreciate you being here tonight. Take care, everyone. Good night.